Ani Shajuti Nikashiga. Hello, this is Candice, and this is Real Indigenous. And with me today are our usual hosts, Angela, Tully, Sunrise, Matt, and Monica. And we are here to discuss Killers of the Flower Moon. And welcome again to our, our Real Indigenous podcast, where we discuss everything on your screen and everything in between. So I want to thank everyone for joining us this evening, or joining us today, as we hop into our initial thoughts of Killers of the Flower Moon as it was just released. Uh, I went to go see this film with my husband, of course. Some initial thoughts that I have, and we could talk about this for some time, but I'll try to make it brief. Some of my initial thoughts are that it was beautifully shot. The historical detail, of course, the, the clothing, the clothing, something about growing up in Osage culture, going to the Elanchka dances, how we dress is incredibly important. It was ingrained in, uh, ingrained in me as a child. You don't go into the Elanchka, you don't go in to dance unless you are dressed right. There is a certain way to hold oneself when, when you're in Elanchka, and uh, I feel like that came through a lot um the way that the people held themselves and the uh, especially the native people versus the way that the non-native people hold themselves some of the things that stuck out to me yeah um the his it was very it was a very lush movie it was a very violent movie and uh i will say lily was amazing i feel like she she deserves all the oscars she deserves all the awards and the accolades uh, her performance was just beautiful. I love the way that she's so expressive with her eyes and this journey that we were taken on. But I also want to point out too, and I think that this was something I already knew going in, that this is not an Osage movie. This is not an Osage movie. This is a Martin Scorsese movie. This is the guy who did Goodfellas. This is the guy who did Wolf of Wall Street, which you, I can only watch once because you feel like a piece of you-know-what at the end of it. And Goodfellas, you know, he ruined one of my favorite songs of all time, you know, uh, a beautiful song when now I can't see that song or listen to that song without seeing a montage of macabre bodies and being killed and all that. So anyway, I went into that film, into the film, knowing that this is that guy. This is that guy. This is how he makes movies. This is how he does films. And so right off the bat, I already struggled with it just emotionally. I was prepared for a systematic targeted murders of the family of Anna Brown of Rita of 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 those sisters uh, and and their mother Lizzie I was prepared for that I knew that that would happen what I wasn't prepared for was for them to show the scope uh you know they name maybe about 60ish people or maybe 20 30ish people and they list them towards the beginning. And I know the person who's uh, who they kill right off the bat when they go right into the amount of murders. Uh, they go right into the listing. You know, they, they list, I don't know how many people who die within the first 15, 20 minutes. And I know the first person and I was like gut punched, you know, really sucker punched because I'm like, oh my gosh, I know that kid. I know that boy. I, you know, this boy and I, we, we've danced together at powwows, you know, um, we've danced together at Elanchka, you know, I know his family, his family knows my family, my grandma's friends with his grandma, all those things. Anyway, I know, like, and, and of course, the second person that's murdered, like, we know that family, know those, know these people, know these family, and it was, at one point, on one hand, it's like, oh, that's cool, that's a familiar face, oh my gosh, now that person's dead. And um, seeing them lay out, or, yeah, there's going to be some spoilers here, uh, seeing them laying out 
in state, you know, as if for a funeral and laying, laying them out as, as stiffs, you know, drain, you know, just colorless, um, was jarring for me. And I thought, oh my gosh, am I going to make it through this movie? Um, this is already a lot. And, um, it was a lot. It was a lot to take within even the first, not even hour. But we made it through. There were some, I will say some abrights, a bright spot in the movie is the use of Wajaji, of Wajaji language, Wajaji. So that was, that's really cool to see and to hear. I don't think a native language, an indigenous language has ever been given this much airtime, I feel like, in a block, in recent history, in a blockbuster film. And some of it's not even translated, which is also a really cool choice. And I called it too, as an Osage person, like, so I'm, I, I like A Pipe for February by Charles Redcorn. And uh, later, as I was thinking about the movie, the first scene where they're burying the pipe and uh, they're burying the, the pipe person and putting it away, I thought, that's a, that is exactly how a pipe for February opens. That's a nod to a pipe for February. And that makes sense because the scene is played by Tolly Redcorn, you know, a relative of Charles Redcorn. And so I thought that was really cool. That was really neat. Uh, it was it that was I thought that was a little it felt like that did feel like a maybe an Osage Easter egg so there were things in this film that felt like moments where it did feel like maybe that's for an Osage person but the majority of film is for a white audience I will say like of course the like it's not an it's not an enjoyable film this is a Martin Scorsese film this isn't Barbie it's a tough film it's an important film but it is a, a film that centers on our pain and our trauma and in my community the response has been mixed there are people who there are people who worked really really hard on this film and i have to give them shout outs you know there are people who who did work who did a lot of work a lot of osage people osage community who went to work on this film because they wanted to well they didn't want to be left out of the conversation they did not want to be left out of production and rightfully so this um Especially, I won't specify, of course, the story is about a, a family from Grey Horse, you know, and from Fairfax. I'm from Pahuska, That's I, and though I am Osage, uh, each district has their own kind of separate. They We do things just a little bit differently, just a little bit differently from each other. And I want to specify this is a, a story from Grey Horse. This is a story from Fairfax and that specific Osage community. By and large, I do feel like our reviews have been mixed uh, and it feels like a generational thing too where it feels like maybe people around my age I'm millennial and younger who we we point out some of our critiques some of our our older people though some of our older people they didn't want to have anything to do with it they just said nope don't want to don't want to don't want to talk about it we were told not to talk about it so we're not talking about it but then there are people who they did work really hard on the film and i and i and they deserve all of the the red carpet, the premiere, the limelight at the premieres, you know, people like Addie Roanhorse and Chris Cote, like they worked super hard on this film. Their work should absolutely be honored. They should absolutely get all of the things, all of the recognition as much as they want. <laughs> Some of them were like, oh, uh, don't want too much. Don't want too much of that limelight. Uh, overall, technically, technically, we can say it is a good movie. Sweeping cinema, you know, beautiful shots. I've uh, never seen one of the Osage towns just come so alive. And uh, I like that we see this is probably one of the first times where I where I've seen Osage people and native people in general, like we're doing a period piece and our people are speaking in complete sentences 
complete English sentences. They're using words like melancholic. I'm melancholic. They're using, they're educated. We're showing the education side because yes, our people went through boarding schools. We were, Osage people were educated by the Catholics. I, uh, I appreciate that. I will say it's a different Martin Scorsese film than I've ever seen before. I know I had heard that the script went very much from the point of view of Ernest Burkhart to pulling it a little bit over into Molly's perspective. So I'm appreciative that for Martin Scorsese, this film does feel different than his past films and that I feel like people who did who would not normally get screen time, i.e., and I hate calling us those up, the people who are being terrorized, I feel like they are getting more screen time than they usually would in a Martin Scorsese film. And it is because Greyhorse asked for that. They asked for that. They invited Martin Scorsese for a meal. And they said, we want you to be very careful in how you approach this. But does it go far enough? I personally don't feel it goes far enough. But that's because I'm just of a, I, I think I just have a different generation. And being an actor, I'm very aware of how much screen time women get how much dialogue they get, how much they don't get. I, I I see that, you know, and I see that as being intentional and deliberate, but I thought it was filmed um, very cleverly. And that, yeah, there are scenes where Molly doesn't say anything, and I do feel like it's a little bit of a cop-out on the scriptwriter's part by using Lily's... Uh, Lily just is an, is an amazing actress, and so she's able to carry those scenes wordlessly. But I'm also aware that, well, could that have been a great moment for a monologue? Could she have told her husband to piss off finally? <laughs> I, I think about those things and I want to be respectful too of the family, of the families who they, they did invest in a lot, you know, like my uh, Auntie Margot, you know, she feels very, very strongly about the film because that was her great grandfather. Henry Roan was her great grandfather. So I want to be respectful and knowing my own boundaries and my own community. I do not speak for them. I know that there are Osages who are a very, they seem... They seem in a pretty good place with how our people are portrayed. And so you have that. And then there are those uh, like me who just wished it went a bit further, especially, especially when it comes to naming the names, naming the institutions, naming the organizations who still profit from these stolen head frights. 26% of Osage Nation head rights are in the hands of non-Osages. I, I wished it went a bit further in that, um, you know, in, in portraying that and knowing that we still, they still live among us, we still live among them. Anyway, those are some of my uh, initial thoughts. What are you guys' initial thoughts? Monica, initial thoughts? My initial thoughts were like that it was too long way too long. I would have cut 45 minutes out of it. All 45 minutes could have been some kind of Leonardo DiCaprio situation. I think he is a wonderful actor. I think he's a fine, fine actor. And it wasn't that I was like sick of him or anything like that. It was just unnecessary to have that film be that long. Or if you were, then you were going to tell a couple other family stories instead of just that one. So what we ended up with was sort of a mix of we're st starting to tell Lily's story, but then we're back to Leah. And then we're starting to tell it again. We're starting to tell the Osage people, but then we're back to some, you know, whatever the white folks are up to. Is the FBI, now the FBI is the savior in this, which we know is probably not the case. Then we're back to, so it felt like fits and starts maybe? I don't know. Th those were my initial thoughts. I thought, I agree with you, Candace. it was gorgeous. You know, every moment that I hear 
any native language on the big screen or in my office cubicle as my office mate is just calling his wife. I just think to myself, yeah, fuck you, Columbus. Like, fuck off. We were still here. So that was worth it alone to go and see that. And the moments when there wasn't any subtitles, I was like, yeah, because I don't want to know. It's none of my business. Or I can use context clues, right? And the wedding, I don't know very much about Osage folks. So obviously, I want to do a little, I want to learn more and not just from Martin Scorsese, but I have a lot of questions about weddings at Osage. I just went to um, South Dakota and I sat next to an Osage woman on the plane. She was coming back from the National Indian Education Association Conference and she shared, graciously shared a little bit with me about why Lily was wearing that military coat. That part was amazing. Uh, The wedding, oh, I just loved that. And the end was really great. I think everyone should see it. And always we can do better. Always it could it could have been better. And it's and it's okay. It's okay to hold two competing ideas at the same time about this. Those are my initial thoughts. How about you, Angela? Again, it was gorgeous. Needed more Lily, less Leo. I was telling everybody, to me, it was like a pipe for February and Killers of the Flower Moon combined, like in a really great way. Because yeah, Candace, I totally got the first part, the opening scene. But there were some other parts that popped in from Pipe from February, especially like at the Bon Bon and stuff like that, that I was like, oh my gosh, that's from the Redcorn book. I liked that it turned into an expose. I mean, this is very Martin Scorsese, but where he just slowly exposes the evil underneath the pretty surface. Everything looks great on the surface. And then as each character makes their choices, you see that evil bubbling up to the light. I just finished watching The Irishman and I can see a, a whole lot of parallels between the two. So I can see why why he structured this film the way that he did because of that whole, that question in the trailer, who are the wolves? Can you spot the wolves? And it's never who you think it is. So I, I like kind of the whodunit that takes up the last part of the film. If you're from Oklahoma, if you're somewhat familiar with the world that he's creating, the first half is very expository. Like I was, you know, halfway in, I was like, uh, but then talking to other people that have seen it, they're like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, okay. So he's building a really lovely world. The car race is so exciting. It's very martin scorsese and everything's bright and shiny and i'm still trying to figure out when it for me it turns and i think i'm gonna have to see it again to kind of figure out when everything kind of turns i don't know somebody else might have a better grasp on that because it was so gradual that i all of a sudden i was just like oh my gosh them too overall yes agree 100 percent. great film not an Osage film, but the amount of people paying attention to this, on especially that are posting on social media, that want to see it, that are seeing it, that are being made aware of American history that is Native history, that is from a time when my grandmother was alive. And the repercussions that it still has today, I think it's a good step forward. Is it the best? No. But it's a good step forward. Sunrise, you go. Well, you know, just... Initial time I viewed it was very conflicted for reasons that we've explored. The fact that it, my wish is for the film to explore the Osage side more and to see more of not just the one family that we're looking at, but more, particularly because we start with so many of those individuals at the start. It'd be nice to see more. That's what I wanted. 
uh, I think that's what probably some other people were probably sharing, wanting. You know, as it played out, I just had to settle into the fact that it was always going to be Scorsese's movie with Leo. It's a Scorsese-Leo movie with the setting taking place in a, in a world that I'd rather see. But that's... um. That's a film that we have because that's just not the film that he can make. Um, and I agree with Angela, the fact that it's kind of starting these conversations. And I think that's the benefit of all of this. I think in general, it's probably a very helpful starting point for the, all of these discussions. Like the, the wedding is something that was really striking to me. I've never seen the wedding like Monica and I want to know more. And just that point for me was so valuable. The fact that I was able to not just see it in a, a photo book, but seeing play out in action and seeing the the environment in which it took place and seeing all the faces of real indigenous people on the screen that was like heartwarming and the fact that we have somebody at the helm of this who could have ignored all that uh i think we're we are fortunate to have this individual who is recognizing his limitations and is willing to work with the the collaborators that he's got and i don't think we would have the films and we would, i don't think we would have the moments that we're talking about without his being open but also not without the tribe being very persistent so both of those things i think had to happen they could have happened more I'm sure there's trepidation on both sides about taking it further, but that's probably where the next film needs to go, whatever that is. But always, you know, through watching this film, just, you know, knowing Scorsese's filmography, I knew that he was also a filmmaker that doesn't try to address everything, even though it seems like sometimes he does, because his movies can be monoliths um, in their size and how many different aspects of one story it addresses, but it I think in the end, he's always making films to have conversations or to start conversations between filmmakers. And he's in the middle of a conversation. I don't think he thinks that he is presenting everything, which is you know part of the brilliance of the final moment. I've heard some controversy about it itself, about it being kind of like too late or too little, too late. But I, at, at least he is put, put in his put in a position where he is aware of his limitations and i appreciate the fact that he has done the work that he's done there could always be more the great thing is that i feel like because this film is opening up a conversation on a national maybe international scale that some osage filmmaker is going to be put in a better position to make a movie from the osage perspective whatever background that osage is from and i feel like then we'll get a better film probably that we're all wanting it probably won't be as recognizable it probably won't be as high a budget but it, it will probably get farther now than it would have had this film not come out you know so i feel like those are the kind of the trade-offs overall it's it's a it's a good scorsese film i think it's not the best lily film uh even though there's a great performance she should get nominated and just like what candace said she could have had more dialogue but when she doesn't have dialogue she's always doing something interesting but yeah, she could have had more dialogue. She had more scenes. And in fact, I think Kara Jade could have had more scenes. I feel like she is really, for me, the big discovery in this film. Like I was kind of maybe visually aware of her, like when I've seen her in some other, I don't know, posts or something. Um, she's got a short that she's in about suicidal ideation and she's great. But this was really, it feels like a breakout role for her. And it feels like um, that's also a benefit that I was able to see another actor. And I feel like I hear a lot of people talk about the Anna character and because of the performance. And so I think that's great if we can have another native actor that's like becoming known beyond our communities. But I probably need to see it again. I do say just so just in relation to Angela's comment about the race, I think the race is actually kind of 
really kind of amazing and how it works as a way to communicate how the white people are in a race against each other it's exciting but there's like you know like the the sages that are sitting on the side and they're like they they're interested to some degree in like the panic that's happening that they're not involved in i thought that was very interesting but then it also just on a very simple level was working as a way to communicate that this film was going to be about race and i was like oh that's it that's kind of clever and that's just scorsese it has nothing really to do with even history or nothing but i thought that was kind of clever uh i mentioned this on the other podcast the cinematic schematic but there's a moment where they're first like they go to this close-up of like the family that is being peddled the car by the car salesman and it's kind of like the first time where we kind of see a variety of different people speaking and interacting and it just like really moved me to see our own people on the screen just like sort of playing themselves and sort of just being people they're just on the street being asked to buy a car and there was nothing there was very few elements of stereotype to it there was no drunkenness there was no broken english they were not impoverished they were educated and they were a functioning family and they were just responding without any calibrated performance it felt like it was just real people being asked to say these lines the way that they would and that was very moving i wanted more of that so somebody please make that movie yeah those are my initial thoughts um i know matt is also thinking um hear what he says let's see i've seen it twice now the the first time i watched it was pretty overwhelming just i mean i spent two weeks working on set as a background i was just fascinated being on set watching the construction of, of the coordination that went into putting these scenes together and in, in recreating 1920s fairfax it was fascinating being on set it felt like you were like actually there so seeing this on screen was like just really something something else so a lot of that was just kind of my memories and i've sometimes talked about this about going back to how those were put together and what was going on like as far as as far as the runtime goes, I I kind of I kind of go both ways. It it, could, it probably could have been a lot shorter than than it was. Um, but then that goes back to being being immersed in that world was was is still something else. I didn't feel the three and a half hour runtime. I get why he made it that long. Um, that being said, it does feel like a missed opportunity on a lot of levels that you guys have already talked about. Spending more time with other families, spending more time with Molly. I was kind of interested in Tatanka Means's character, like how he got involved. And that's a whole that could be that could be a whole another movie just, just talking about John Wren. But what this movie did for me was it, it lists a lot of names. It made me look up more of the history of like who was involved, getting more information about what exactly happened. The movie functions well, hopefully for historical purposes, that people will be interested in doing more research just beyond what they're what, what they're seeing, beyond the Ernest Burkhart story, which is which is what we have. I mean, hopefully not just for Osage, but hopefully this will like lead the way for other natives from other tribes to tell their tribe-specific stories. If if that's what this movie accomplishes, then that's you know that's that's great. I wasn't expecting a casino Goodfellas type movie. That I mean, looking back on it, that would have been really inappropriate for that style. I mean, a lot of people I think are disappointed that it wasn't that style. That it's a slower-paced movie compared to his, his earlier stuff. What really, and I, I don't know, maybe we might talk about this later, but I let out audible gasps when, um, when I was kind of talking about dealing with the like the visions that Lizzie Q was having. And I, I haven't heard anybody talk about, and I don't know if I, can, if I should talk about it here, but like just what, what they were seeing right before they were dying. 
that was that made me think of like the last temptation of christ a lot of the imagery that was going on there just kind of the way that those those were those images were unfolding i thought that it was pretty respectful i i thought with how that was being portrayed and i don't know you guys might have some other insight into it than than, than me and i was right is that anything anybody wants to talk about oh uh, i felt like it was definitely not the native way to portray yeah the thing but again we've already established <laughs> not a native movie mm-hmm Super interesting was Sterling Harjo's portrayal of owls, how he blacks out and blurs out their eyes, and yeah, it's yeah. Like visual. Yeah. But heck, that screech owl comes in, and I'm like, ah! <laughs> oh, yeah, I, think I think everybody jumps. Mentioned yeah. that, that they like. I said, I wish somebody told me this was going to happen because I could have left to go to the bathroom at that time because that was not good for me. That was not like oh, a, no. a proper way for me to watch this movie. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, it needs a trigger warning. Yeah, we need a trigger mm-hmm. warning. Goodness. <laughs> yeah, and that's what yeah somebody said. I saw that somebody had said like, oh, you know, when when's a good time to go to the bathroom? It's like leave when you notice the owl showing up. Twice. What about what about when when Lizzie Q passes away? Oh, uh, her vision of the pre contact. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody was looking at some, somebody spent some time, I think, in the Osage Nation Museum and was really taking in, I think, the the pre-contact body paint. And I wondered, I wondered who they were. I'm not sure who they were because I would have thought, are these her pre-contact ancestors or are they personifications of some of our cosmological beings? So that's who I, that was my question because I was mm-hmm. like, well, I'm not sure if that's referencing a specific Osage person. I know I've seen, I feel like I've seen that image somewhere, but I can't remember if that's of a specific person or if that's like one of those white settler European drawings of like an Osage man, you know, and I can't remember if they're denoting someone specific or if it's a general Osage person. I thought the, the vision was cool. Something I thought was pretty cool to see. Yeah, where it was I, uh, was that scene? And also the um, those constructed houses. I'm not sure what you call them. Those uh, like those arbors, those brush arbors. That's something that I thought that that was really cool to see how it probably how it was because i've only seen pictures and so to see like people like gathered under there and like praying and having gatherings that was pretty neat to see and for the most part that it seemed like a lot of the times under there i mean yeah we have funerals and there's sad news lots of tragic devastating news being passed around but there's also some happy moments there are some happy moments i was happy to see one of my friends he got a happy scene i was like oh yay he got a happy scene one of the one happy scenes (laughs) i don't know how many happy scenes there were but there were there weren't enough more community, more Osages, mm-hmm. more sister scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the sister scene was amazing. That's the best having part of the movie. Yeah, Having sisters, like Julie and I always joke, I have a sister. We always joke that mom and dad had us intentionally as like they, like they knew they needed a sister because we help each other dress. It's hard dressing in Osage clothes. It's, you know, it's easier. It's easier to dress whenever you have someone helping you when it comes to Osage clothes because we have a lot of stuff that we put on. It just helps. It just helps a lot to have a sister to help you dress, to make sure you look right before you go out and go into the Alonchka because it's there's great pride in knowing how to dress. And then, because when you don't know how to dress and how you don't know how to dress is you lose an article. You didn't tie it tightly enough. So there's a little bit of embarrassment and a little bit of shame that, man, you didn't tie that quite right. And now you have to, now you have to go get that article of clothing back because we passed down our articles of clothing. A lot of ours are uh, hand-me-downs or they're shared. Anyway, but you were talking about the the visions. And yeah, like the owl scene, I was like, oh, you. 
how <laughs> screech out and yeah i wondered about who the who the pre i i assume they were pre-contact people and if they were referencing specific people or if they were personifications of like is that grandfather's son could that mm -hmm. be grandfather's son could that be grandmother moon i'm not sure i kind of doubt that part though but i i don't know it was thought that i had because they well they talk about when we die that we're called by our name and that we go home we go home to our ancestors well they didn't talk about that in the movie but that's what we talk I mean, about you know no. yeah did one of the ancestors call her by her name i don't remember that happening i don't think she did uh, yeah, they says something like "come with us" or something like that. But yeah. but that would have been an important thing because that's like a part of the system of how life and death works. Like when you're born, someone dreams your name, right? I mean, I'm also explaining you, but <laughs> <laughs> right? Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that's probably one way. That wasn't how I was named. I was named after my mom. I was named in the Native American church and I was named after my mom, you know, and they, they typically, they don't name the baby. I've, I've also heard that they don't name the babies right away. Cause you don't know how that baby is. And that after about a year, you know, that in general you get like, and then after about a year, you get your, the name that will see you through. And, uh, I had, have heard that, but that's there. There's no one, there's no one way that, uh, there are a few different ways to be named. Yeah, that would have been important for me as an Osage person that she would have been called by her name. And it's probably not Lizzie. You know, she probably, I don't know what kind of name she would have had, it, I, but I would have been, it would have uh, raised a flag in me, uh, like a green flag, that there was Osage consultation on that. Like Lizzie would have been called by her name because they say that that's how a creator knows you, that you are named and that when you're called home, that you're called by that name interesting visions interesting visions i was kind of surprised actually even though lizzie has those visions that i it almost felt like they were going to give lily visions too and she kind of kind they almost go into that territory but not not really but it was at that point actually when lily's like sick in those scenes we see the people and the fire and it and in that moment i really thought man if this movie was shot exclusively from molly's perspective this would have been a horror film this would have been a complete, it would have been a completely different film, I think. I think it would have, not completely, we would have had the same characters, but it got me interested in being like, man, from her perspective, isn't this just a horror film? Tragedy after tragedy, wondering if you're next. It kind of feels that way. By the time the owl comes around the second time, and then by the time we see Hale and the intensity of those fires and their distortion, it feels like, it feels like it's a horror film. I mean, it's not as extreme as it could be, but it definitely. Kind of, kind of like when he's at bedside, when he's talking mm -hmm. to him also. Yeah. Yeah. Like, was and, he there? Was he not? Was he there? Yeah. Right. yeah. I, I thought that was clever because I was really like, oh gosh, he's really going to come and like make sure she gets that shot and smother her. I mean. Mother. Yeah. Like. That, yeah. That was, that was very, that was a lot. That was very tense for me. Mm -hmm. It was intense. And I know Lily just poured herself into that role. I was, uh, when we, when we danced together at. At Ilanchka, we danced a we danced a few rounds, and she was telling me I just I didn't know how to ask her about it because I'm like, is some of this under NDA? I don't know. <laughs> so I was just like, so how's how's the shoot going, <laughs> Lily? <laughs> and she's like, oh, I'm filming the wasting scenes, and I was like, oh, jeez, <laughs> mm -hmm. the wasting sickness. Yeah, I could I could tell like uh, it was. She was prepping herself. She was prepping herself for those for those scenes, and uh, I was just like man, well, uh, break a leg, you know, you know, take care of yourself. Again, I want, want more dialogue, yeah. more dialogue from, from Molly. Yeah. When, when they were 
flirting in their initial scenes together. She was, I don't hear people talk about that, just how she would kind of laugh them off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she was great in that. Yeah, according to the, like, the articles, that was actually improvised. My favorite scenes of hers was that scene, and they said that DiCaprio just said something like that. Does that mean handsome and in, uh, Indian or something like that? And she, that she just, that was a real laugh. And so, yeah. and, and I wonder if that scene when they're at the table and he says something, and she says, ish. And so mm -hmm. I was like, oh, shit, I know he needs to talk like that. Candace was one of them. <laughs> and so I was wondering if that was also an improvised scene. And so, again, like I said, a failure on a screenwriter because, you know, the best scenes were the ones that the person didn't write. Oh, and speaking of, like, another breakout person who isn't an actor but my gosh i loved everett waller scenes the council scene where he's like where he's talking about this money as it comes in and i know mm -hmm. they, they let him mm -hmm. improvise that and i knew as soon as he launched into that i thought a hollywood screenwriter did not write that right. they, yeah. i was like that that's him that's not <laughs> that's not acting like that's him that's how he talks that's how he is that's yeah. how he carries himself and that's how he talks and i really I appreciated that they let him improvise that that moment and that point blank question I like that they asked Jesse Plemons. You see, they they flirt with White Savior with Jesse with Jesse Plemons, but I did appreciate that they let the Osage delegation ask that that question of the agent point blank. He was like, "Did you come because of the white man who died, or did you come because of the twenty thousand that we raised to bring you here?" You know, I I see the the work that had to be laid in order to get some greater or to get more Osage voices in on this, and I really really liked Everett Walters scene where he's just like, you know, we appreciate you coming here. You know, we're raising this money, and, you know, and and the later scene where he's like in in past times we would have found these men we would have killed these men if we could find these men we would yeah. kill them and i was like oh I felt like i was under the arbor and it's only i only hear the men do that oh you know when it's like an affirmation of like when they when they hear something that they're it's almost like an amen when they hear something that they really agree with but i but i felt myself you know being like mm-hmm mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and i'll be like i can't keep that in <laughs> can't keep that oh Boy, Everett, Everett had me revved up. I was like, man, yeah, you go and you find them. And you get them. And you get the FBI to come. What about you, Tully? What are your initial thoughts? Oh, we're still doing that? Shit, we're like a, <laughs> like an hour in or something. What's yeah, you didn't, but you didn't go. Basically, I agree with everyone on most of it. Chris Cote, who is the language consultant, probably said it best, and I'm going to just quote him. Do you know him, Candace? Yeah, I know him through Deggy Hall Language Conference. His grandma and my grandma were best of friends. He is an Osage language teacher. I, uh, I'm really good friends with his wife, Jordan. They moved to Tahlequah recently, and so... Oh, did they? Yeah, they did. They're, she, they don't live too far away from me. And so, yeah, I know Chris. I, I just, man, you know, the dedication that Chris has to uh, Osage language, you know, even as a young kid, really shines through. And so, yeah, I've been like, to use, I think, more of a Gen Z word, I've been standing all of his social media comments where he wanted to see it from Molly's perspective. I'll let you elaborate because you just, you didn't get to finish your that's, initial thoughts. But, well, that's, but yeah. that's the, the quote that I've, I probably mostly agree with, with what he said. And he said, as an Osage, I really wanted this to be from the perspective of Molly and with her family experience. But I think it would take an Osage to do that. Martin Scorsese, not being Osage, I think he did a good job representing our people. But this history is being told 
almost from the perspective of Ernest Burkhardt. And they kind of give him this conscience and kind of the pick that there's love. But when somebody conspires to murder your entire family, that's not love. That's not love. That's just beyond abuse. So that's kind of like, basically, he said it best of what I felt about the movie. So we can move forward. Moving forward, what are some tropes that maybe you saw that you have a problem with? Or if there was something that maybe turned a trope on its ear that you appreciated. Does anybody have any thoughts on that? I wish that Henry Rowan wasn't always like drinking. Even though it's motivated, I I don't think like we ever fully grasp what he's going through and it it sort of goes in that direction too quickly and too easily and and then we don't ever see him in a real moment like being a human being and that was the one thing that someone was talking to me like, can we list up all the stereotypes of Native Americans in this movie? And that was one of them, like the alcoholisms. Oh, there's also mentions of suicide. Oh, and there's a lot of dead Indians and so on. So, oh, the main character is a white person, blah, 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 you know? Oh, and a Native woman falls for a white man. And, um, oh, and for Anna... I feel like she falls into what is it when they when they over almost over sexualize the I think it's the fetish no it's it's kind of like you know it's they sexual the way that they sexualize Anna you know Mm -hmm. and she talks about not opening her legs for just anybody and but there's a point where Bill Hell's like oh is it me you know like did I did I father somebody and I and I thought I feel like that plays a little bit that plays too easily into that i'm not sure if the word is over sexualization but it's that idea that well she was promiscuous so you know did you know mm-hmm. did she well, I think, yeah that's a problem with women being portrayed in films in general the horror oh, yeah. or, and, or the madonna or the madonna right yeah we kind of have that actually between molly and her sister anna mm-hmm. molly is virtuous mm-hmm. anna is a hot mess well, she and, was a party girl. I mean, if you read the book, if you read Killers of the Flower Moon, she was a party girl. She liked being social. She liked going out and having a good time, whatever that meant in the 20s. It was, you know, prohibition. And so everybody was drinking and there was oil money everywhere. So excess was everywhere at that time with everybody. I mean, it does. It's, it is a stereotype, but again, stereotypes are sometimes rooted in fact in that, but that it was doesn't- the 20s. That, she deserved, that doesn't mean that she deserved to be murdered the way that she is. So. No, they were obvious. I mean, to me, they quite obviously were murdering her for her head rights. Right. Because yeah. they lay yeah. out who was who was inheriting from whom, at what point. I mean, you know, even the guy that wanted to ad- adopt the two Osage babies. Wait, are you telling me <laughs> that you're wanting to adopt these kids so you can kill them and get their head rights? Well, if I did... Well, wait, only if it's legal. Right, yeah. Yeah, only if it's legal. legal. Which, and that apparently comes from a real transcription. That's like mm-hmm. that sounds right. word for word. Yeah. Yeah. Also, is it maybe because it's the same issue with Henry Ronhorse's character where we're not giving the dimensionality to that sister so that she's not just yeah. a party girl? Is that Again, maybe? Well, she lays yes. down with her mama and her mama yeah. is like, I she love you and that's a very beautiful scene with her and her mom about and you know i know women that are like that that crave attention and crave affection and their mamas are they love them and try to help them feel like fully realized people when they're always searching for something to be more Mm -hmm. if that makes sense yeah but again Mm -hmm. that just goes back to more more sister scenes 
more. We have more one sister scenes. Would it be? Yeah, totally flush that yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. One sister scene. And we're talking and, talk- and they're talking about a white man. We only have one sister scene and they're talking about the white man. <laughs> What's that called? The uh fails the Bechtel test. Yeah. Fails the but his test. other but movies was- have like zero women in them. I mean, honestly. Yeah. That's one of the critiques yeah. that I've read where they they don't give the Molly character enough to make this movie and people said, But does Scorsese ever give the women any great characteristics or anything but going back to henry runhorse the other thing i was going to say is that i got to see this movie like on the premiere night and so i was fortunate enough to be around a bunch of natives and a lot of asagi people former principal chief jim gray did the introduction to the show and he talked about how henry runhorse is his relative so he's like how that impacts him emotionally and how it impacts him and then I'm like, oh my God, I wouldn't even... So that was what makes the movie hard to watch, right? Because we're thinking about these, these are real people, this is a real thing. These people that I'm around either knew about these, or know people who are related to them, or are related to them. And so to see that on, portrayed on the screen, you got to have the, the respect and understanding that this has that feeling and that emotion in it. Again, that makes me think, well, should we really care about Ernest Burkhardt? Is he really the character that we should come into the story with? Because for me, I think the best character, if we were to follow a single character, was the Molly character. And if you just wanted to follow a bad white dude, it should have been Hale that they followed to help him develop. Because my understanding historically is that some people, a lot of people liked him, right? Is that how I, is that how it went? But to me, in this yes. movie, he, he came in on the jump as evil. So we didn't get to like, kind of like him and then realize, oh shit, he's a really shitty person. You know what I mean? I think that our impression of him being evil it came from the trailer. And the fact that he was dressed like the Mr. Monopoly man through the whole thing. There's, I mean, the first scene does really explicate his interest in money and manipulating people, emphasizing his prejudice about race. All those things are at the front of that first scene, even though it's not indicated that he's what, what he's after. But uh, I had the same thought as Angela. I felt like, did I go into this movie thinking that this guy's the villain because in real life, the way we're talking talk about him, he is, and the way the trailer portrayed him, he is. Because those first scenes, he is very friendly and it seems like he's concerned about um, one of the sisters when she's ill and it, he's like offering assistance in a way that seems to be positive and it seems like she's like looking up to him it feels like the community sees him as beneficial and i didn't i didn't think about that really until the second viewing where you know we're colored by what we know as the result of history and it's hard to kind of like reframe and and then also like i guess understand the the story of his character as it's slowly revealed but it seems like that's part of like what angela was talking about earlier in in the structure is like we slowly start to peel back or we slowly start to see the what's motivating these characters decisions and i feel like he slowly becomes somebody who starts to be revealed that the medicine he's offering is obviously not beneficial and the power structures that he's negotiating with are the KKK and um, they're all intertwined in terms of the spaces that they own and the relationships that are hidden behind the, the smiles and assistance. I don't know if I would agree with Tully about him being the most interesting character because he doesn't have any change through the whole movie, whereas Ernest at least comes to recognize that maybe he's being manipulated to me that felt like a cop-out for that character and maybe that's how it is in real life because i don't really remember how he was Mm -hmm. Mm ernest 
because it's that thing of like he starts out like a low level thug from the beginning. He knew what he was doing, and and I know that the actor is trying to play this character who's conflicted. But again, like the quote I said, he was he was in on it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't think there was any other way to go or say about it. And that might be because, you know, I've known about this story like ever since I was a kid. And so I've been kind of reading this stuff and looking at stuff on this ever since, you know, forever. And so maybe I have this ingrained like prejudice of the person because I see this guy as like, I see all these guys as bad people. Not one of them, but I think that they're caring, giving, loving. They may be. I mean, of course they may be because that's a lot of people are in their own way. But I never saw him as like, you know, the guy I would have remorse or feelings for. I just would be like, oh my God, that's a terrible dude. And so that's what I'm saying. I think they fictionalize these emotional aspects of him. So you could have done that with Hale. And, or you could just have Hale be this nice guy and then you could have this twist, a flip on him and say, oh shit, he's really fucking these people up. And you would still have the same kind of a concept and idea. I don't know. That's just how I felt. Well, and we we're also looking at this through a, you know, post Me Too lens, mm-hmm. which I've noticed a lot of reviewers have, have taken up that stance and they forget that in the 1920s, women didn't have a lot of rights. Right. You just stayed married to an abusive mm-hmm. husband because that right. was the thing you were expected to do. I mean, obviously at the beginning of the relationship, he was in love, she was in love, but he always said he loved many more and he wasn't the brightest bulb in the box. And I think his uncle was very easily manipulated him until he suddenly realized what he was doing. And that's when he started taking the medicine that she was taking, I think. But even then he was living in denial because he couldn't admit the truth to her or to himself. I found that scene as kind of a repeat of what has happened in my abusive relationship, in that when you confront your abuser and they can't admit that they are abusers and they can't admit that they've abused you, that's the time to walk away. And it's hard because you want them to admit it. You want them to be truthful to themselves and to you. And it just, it's kind of like that, okay, I'm done. Tavra, it's that kind of moment. And that moment did, again, I wonder what that screenplay looked like and how much Lily Gladstone brought to that character and how much was on the page. Because again, like you said, that moment when at the end, when they had their last confrontation, you feel like you know what she's thinking. You feel like you know what she's, she's expressing that to me, what you just said of like, you're really not going to say this shit. You're really not going to tell me this. Again, that was the other thing too, is I kept trying to having to remind myself that this was the 1920s, pre-suffragette, pre, even Indians were not citizens, you know? And so I was, I had to remember that and, and women were not able to have rights. We're not able to own anything. And to think with in that context of like, she couldn't just all up and divorce them. She couldn't all up and speak up to them. And so you had to do like the best of what you can do with that. And let's not forget the children. Children, I think to many people to native peoples to osages something grandma always told me was that papas and osages and i know cherokees too that they love their children they love their children they'll do what they believe is best for their children and for an osage woman who is at that point regarded by the u.s as incompetent because she is full blood (laughs) she's also an intersectional catholic catholics don't like 
divorce. There are all those things that I know go into that and made these Osage families especially vulnerable to this abuse. And I think Scorsese said it in an earlier trailer where he said it's not a matter of really who done it, it's more who didn't do it. Well, I think one of the things that I appreciated about this was the violence. I mean, this is a, that's a weird statement. I know. But to me, it's all the more jarring because I just think that that's how it happened. The people that it was happening to, they weren't expecting it. We weren't expecting it. And for it to just happen made it just kind of drove it home to me how shocking all these revelations were and how devastating it was for all these families. I mean, the whole thing opens up with just a list of people that have been killed and their non-reasons for being killed. And then this woman gets shot and her baby's taken. I mean, it's just, it, it's really jarring because it's so quiet. I mean, certainly it's, it does communicate the fact that there, there's a violence that's betrayed by the way it's recorded or reflected in a, in a statement, you know, whether, um, whether it's recorded in a document and that's just what somebody says and we're obviously seeing something contradicts it or if it's like the way that it's avoided when describing it between you know family members or um, people of the community it feels like you're probably not going to talk about the details you're going to talk about the injustice and you're going to talk about who they were but you're probably not going to talk about the the specifics and that in itself is it like this extreme horror really this just social horror and i agree it was like it yeah, was really the horror ex aspect yeah that encapsulates it better is the horror of the unexpected jump scare for me and that it's real life i think for me as a native person and as an osage person but i also well for me i did i didn't feel like the vile to show the violence and all the graphic detail was necessary but i knew going in that that's what would happen because it's scorsese that's just my opinion though talking about a different movie black phone Black Phone did so much with implying the violence, with implying a graphic death without showing it. And I feel like our imaginations come up with the most horrible things, you know, that could possibly be. I mean, and would that have worked for this movie? I don't know. But for me, I, I knew there would be graphic violence. I tend to don't not believe that graphic violence is necessary, especially when it comes to violence against Native women and Native peoples and our bodies. And again, but um, I knew that that's that it was just something that I was just going to have to be resigned to accept. <laughs> Again, mixed feelings, not sure. I knew going in, that's what's going to happen. Do I find it necessary? No, that's me. That's my personal, that's my own personal thing. But it wasn't glamorized. This is how it's different from his earlier work to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is it's not glamorized. No, no, no. It's just it's brutal. Not. There's not a cool soundtrack that goes with it, that's with cool shots, nice. you know, with different angles and snap snap cuts and everything it's just a, a gun and bam speaking of soundtrack we did discuss that this was robbie robertson's probably his last composition piece of work for me i liked it it felt like of the period he only kind of leaned into rye cooter who kind of does those period films where he gets like instruments from that era i don't know if that's what robert robertson did but it sounds like, you know, he's trying to play that music of the era. And a part of me was like, maybe there should be an orchestra. Maybe there should be some other music. But I think he kind of had some tonalities that were really cool and really moving. The thing I didn't like about it is that Scorsese was talking about how he wanted it to be sexy. But he drops Molly off at the house and he wanted that thump, that thump, thump, thump to be sexy. But throughout the movie, it becomes menacing. And I don't know, like, <laughs> if 
but he still wanted to be sexy when all the bad shit's happening. <laughs> but uh, but it kind of irked me when he in this interview he was saying how it was sexy. Actually, that sparked something in me. So the spanking of Leonardo DiCaprio, that was weird, right? Wasn't that a weird scene? And it made me have this conversation so weird. with like my husband. And I'm like, have you noticed that uh, in Wolf of Wall Street and in this scene, I don't know, I feel like this scene could have been cut. It was weird. You know, like there was that scene in Wolf of Wall Street where he's uh, in this sexual position and there's like a candle and there's like there's wax and, and it's in his butt. And uh, there's that. Really, like, and yeah, we're, in that scene, he's showing the degradation of these people on Wall Street and how awful they are. And then that scene comes and I was like, well, I didn't really need to see that. You've already shown me that he's a POS. And then then we have this scene in Killers of the Flower Moon where Leo is being spanked by Robert De Niro with a paddle so hard that it breaks it in half. And I just remember feeling very weird, feeling very, very weird about that scene. Well, it's about control. It's about abuse and control. Like, so uh, Leo wasn't the only abuser in this. His uncle was abusive to the point where he had him trained to kneel and accept that punishment. To me, it just, it peeled back that next layer of onion as to the depravity of his character and how controlling he was of all the different moving pieces which made to me contrasted when all of those pieces started slipping through his fingers and things started going wrong so it just it showed his tight control and then you know holding it on so tight that everything started just to slip through the fingers towards the end there's also just this that's where we start to also get a sense of how the system of all these relationships work you know it's not just robert de niro's Hale character. It's Hale as a 32nd degree Mason, almost at the top of the chain. And there's obviously some other person that's above him, but there's 33. We have a sense of the other people that he interacts with, particularly like the Pete's Beatty, who is the head of the KKK. And then mm -hmm. also the the doctors who happen to be in the same building as the Mason building. There's this interconnection that I think starts to become more apparent in that particular scene. And so I feel like it's you know, this implication of the abuse from this larger system that Hale is suddenly starting to represent upon, like, this individual that is starting to, for the first time, maybe piece together that it's, like, it's not just he and his uncle. It's, like, he against this whole, the whole yeah. structure of this town. And even yeah. though when people were telling him that he's next, I don't think he, I, mean, I don't think his character really processed the fact that that meant he was going to die next. Right. Because everybody kept repeating it to him, and he was just like, oh, yeah, whatever, ha, ha, ha. Right. I mean, because, yeah, every, even in the audience, we're like, you, no, really, you are next. He's tying up loose ends. You will die. And you mentioned the KKK. I don't know if I heard that scene incorrectly, but there was a scene where Molly was talking to Burkhardt. Mm -hmm. Yes. And she asked him if they could get the assistance of the KKK. Did I hear that correctly, or was that? I think that's did. right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was that yeah. something that natives work with KKK and do stuff with KKK? Historically, KKK have been against blacks, Jews, Catholics, LGBTQ. I don't know that natives have really fallen into their list of people they have problems with. And at the time, you know, the state was pretty young. And one of the first laws they tried to pass in the state of Oklahoma was segregation, which got shut down. So, you know, KKK was pretty powerful in the state for a long time and so it kind of makes sense that if you're trying every avenue possible that you would at least ask i mean she was trying everything yeah especially when she's got a relationship with him from her 
interactions in the office about money and it seems on the surface that he cares because he thinks that she spends too much money on meat and he seems like he's trying to do this for the benefit of her so it seems like she might say well yeah maybe he's got resources i'm sure they're not the only try is there is there somewhere historically that do y'all know if that's ever been now seen that, no. now that i don't I, know i'd have to look back through the gan book because if any place listed it it would have been there yeah, it probably would be in the gun book. Yeah, because I don't recall ever reading about that. Because I would probably just like when I saw the movie, like, what the fuck? <laughs> I know we, we uh, fought with the Confederate, but we don't talk about that right now. But still, you know, <laughs> I don't know we were so far as KKK. <laughs> well, he's, I mean, he had that big poster of him right behind her. Mm-hmm. Big right. poster, the KKK poster right behind her. Yeah, never mind being in full garb. In the in the parade. Marching and in the parade, parade. Right behind the Osage. Yeah. And he's just like, hey, Will, Bill Hell's just like, yo, hey, like, we're buddies. And so mm-hmm. it's overtly stated that they're all in on it. Yeah, but I think if you mention the KKK and it's not there historically, that, that opens up a whole big mess of things, I would think. Yeah, because I don't remember reading that, but then again, you know, I, I don't, don't pretend to know everything about this. So far, no one's told me about it or they're in denial when... <laughs> I just googled it and apparently there's a play that's based on a, a true story that the KKK comes in contact with Native Americans and they attempt to recruit Native Americans in an attempt to keep their bloodlines pure. Huh. More to look into on that, but I was wondering if uh we could talk a little bit more about this incompetent label that she got. So yeah. Let's let's talk a little bit about that. So incompetent. What made you incompetent? That was a label. That was a designation, an official one that you got from the federal government, from the Department of the Interior, if you were a full-blood native. And you get that in the you were labeled incompetent, and that's how you were assigned a guardian. Someone is assigned it's a, a lawyer, a businessman. Um, your white husband, your stepfather, your white stepfather, as literally what happened, has happened in the past to oversee the management of your estate, of your monies, of your assets, of your land. And I want to make this very clear too, that that designation, though we don't call it incompetent anymore, that still happens today with people who have Indian land and it's happened in my family where we have to go and not me personally but my family has to go because my I come from full blood natives quote unquote and that's remember that's their designation blood quantum designation we have to go and ask permission from the federal government still to this day to do whatever it is that we might want to do leasing selling developing i want to put a building on that you have to go and ask permission from the federal government to do that so that is still a thing today i think one of the good things from the movie is that there's some historical things that people are going to learn about as a result of it as much as this movie didn't tell the osage story the way we wanted it to be told there's an opportunity to talk about labeling people as incompetent or talk about why she would be wearing a military uniform at her wedding and that gives this platform for some great history well for me it's also like people asking me about reservation dogs in the the owl thing or this and it's my opportunity to go i'm sorry i'm not of that tribe i don't know we're all different mm, we aren't a monolith but you can see how when the government gives 
Native people, that designation that they are incompetent. Imagine that. Imagine that goes on some label, some file, that you are incompetent. That how much more that targets you. Uh, originally, they said it was for our protection. They That's what we were told, is that that was for our protection. We don't want some unscrupulous person coming in and selling off your land, or tricking you out of your land. And how very, very much abused that became you know and because you have that label on you as incompetent and sometimes that would happen so in some tribes it happened because it most of the time it happened because of your blood quantum you were full blood but there was also another component if you were full blood and you spoke your language like i said i don't i don't believe they label people as quote-unquote incompetent anymore but me being by their standards half or more like i am bound by this still too. me my family we are bound by this because we have Indian land. Do you happen to know how many people left the state? How many Osages were dislocated? That Now that I, I really don't know. But I will say that for my Osage family, that's what I was always told that would happen with my Osage family. That my great-grandfather was a child during this time. He was born after the last head rights had been given. So all of his older brothers and sisters had head rights. He and his younger sister did not. But I was told, Grandma said that they moved down to Texas for a long time. Or they, they moved to, they moved down to Texas for a period of time. You know, I don't, I don't, I can't remember. I have looked at the genealogy of this. They were in Texas, like in San Antonio, I think. They went down to Texas for a period of time, stayed down there for a while, and then they came back. I don't know how many people fled and never came back. But I know that that's, that was my family story. And I'm still researching it, still researching the accuracy of of that story so to me i do feel a sense that in martin scorsese's to give him props that he did choose to come and shoot in pohuska he could have shot in georgia he came and met with the tribe and the nations and talked it through they had an original spirit that was going to be about fbi and about the white savior and then they decided that they were going to i guess they chose instead to follow the white oppressor i don't know if that's a better thing but <laughs> but, but a lot of like i felt at least with the osage element it felt real like even like you guys said when he used the language and we didn't have to see what they were saying in english we just understood what they were saying i really liked that they respected that they respected the language and everything it also made me think about when and this is a smaller scale because that was a 200 million dollar movie but when american experience did like the series of native films it was like native through american history we shall remain i believe it's called stanley nelson was who is like a well-known documentary filmmaker he did the wounded knee 73 story and juliana branham had come in to work as an assistant to help him get archives and all that stuff. But because of her knowledge and everything she did, he brought her in and she became like a co-producer and co-director of, of that show, that episode. And it made me wonder what happened because that, and I don't know who this person is, Scott Javine, Javine was originally going to be doing a Pipe for February movie with Yancey Redcorn and Jim Gray. And I wonder what that would be like, if even if Scorsese said, well, it's my movie, but what if we brought you in as like a co-director and what that would do and how that would feel? And maybe that's something that we should be thinking about in the future, trying to push other filmmakers through, even if it's not where the producer, we're the director, but we're, we're on board at least to have more capacity than just, you know, the consultants. Yes. Directing, writing, producing. I see no reason why we couldn't have had a well, except for, I think that first scene that was done and, and the sister scene 
But I feel like we could have had more scenes that were almost completely in Osage. And maybe we were not talking about murder. Or, you know. I did appreciate that one scene where the, I can't remember who, which, if it was the council member or not, that was saying that you're not going to speak our language anymore. You're not going to marry your own people anymore. You're not, things are changing. And basically we're predicting our future where we are now. I thought that was very sad. <laughs> I was I was sad when they made those predictions and here we are. It's hard to not always bring up prey with this film for me because it's you know there's an example where a studio and a director had somebody above the line who actively was participatory and just in the language specifically, right? Since we're talking about language and the scenes that seem to be evolved as a result of the fact that there was somebody above the line that knew what they were talking about. And we've just seen the success and the, the result of that success. It's just um, been a good example. And it feels like that would have been a good example to look at or think about. So and there's no reason why Scorsese couldn't have brought someone on. You know, I don't know why that couldn't have happened. You know, I mean, Addie was there quite often. It feels like she would have been a natural person to put into a position like that. So in your face, Scorsese, you talk shit about Marvel movies, but Disney is bringing BIPOC people in to be in charge of the movies, in charge of the TV shows. So let's see you step up, son. And I can't imagine the success of Prey is going to stop that from happening with whatever the next thing is going to be franchise ray two or whatever we get i don't know Candace, that final dance scene we have ideas of what its significance is did do you have any yeah so that final dance scene and i believe that song and again this is I, again i'm probably like one of two or three osages that weren't on set and probably we're not we're not in this film <laughs> <laughs> that dance is supposed... I, I read one, one review that said that it's supposed to be an aerial shot of the Elanchka, but that's not the Elanchka because our Elanchka is done very specifically around, you know, it, and it's private and it's not shot. So what I think that was, and people out in the audience can correct me if I was wrong about this, but I thought that was an original song or it had to have been a newer song. Uh, because when I looked at what the name of it was, I thought, I, I don't think that that song, I'm not sure if that, I don't think that that song's part of the, one of our regular sessions. I, but I remember, uh, when it was being shot, uh, there were lots of my community members that were excited. They were going to go out there. They were going to go dance. And if you notice something that, I don't know, something that I'm always aware of, I know that all, I, I thought some, I feel like something that is special about being all the tribes that I am being Cherokee, Quapaw, and Osage, something we all have in common. And I just, I don't know if this was, it's like fate or whatever. All of my tribes dance in the counterclockwise direction because we say that our heart is, you know, with Cherokees, uh, they say our, there's this thought of that your heart, your heart is closer to that that fire or in this case it's closer to the drum we dance in the counterclockwise direction it's the direction of the cosmos it's the direction of nature it's the direction of our lives it says it's a it's a direction of strength i don't know like i have uh, i liked the scene i like that we're we the community are the final shot it did not end i know there were some 
things I read that it's not, it doesn't end like a regular biopic where it shows like, and this is how so-and-so's, this is this loose end that is tied. This is where so-and-so wound up. But then I also read a criticism of it that it feels like a cop-out. But I will say as an Osage person, I needed to see that. I needed to see my community dancing and kind of a like, yeah, we're still dadgum here. Yeah, we're still going to do this. And yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna continue in this way. I needed to see that myself as an Osage person. Like, because that, that's the community I know. After that dance, you know, I hope there was a meal. For the dance, there was probably a meal. There was probably laughing and joking and family stories and all those things and drama or whatever. But there's friendships and there's joy. And so I needed to see that personally as an Osage person as the final ending note to the movie. I thought it was a beautiful view. I used it in a presentation recently to talk about like, that we are the counterclockwise spiral that is seen in ancient iconography. That that's it's us. It's our movement. We we reflect the order of the cosmos and we reflect it in our lives. I used that screenshot in an academic presentation recently in Tennessee, Chattanooga at an archaeology conference of all places. But anyway, those are my final thoughts. I thought it was a for me it was a strong shot. It was kind of an abrupt ending. I suppose, after the slow burn all this time. Candace, when I saw it, you know, having been in Russ's play and understanding the creation story and how it faded out. And to me, it reminded me of your people of coming from the stars. Yeah. It looked like a constellation. Yeah. Which I thought was super, super cool. And maybe it was a semi-reflection of Alanchka, you know? Yeah. A lot of times when we don't want to show stuff that are specific that we're not supposed to share, a lot of times we change bits and pieces of it so people understand that's what it is, but we know that it isn't so they don't, for whatever reason, not see the taboo of what we do. And I'm with you. I wish I saw more of a contemporary setting because, again, it shows dead Indians and that last like stage reading of the radio show was kind of, what do you call it? It seemed out of place for me. And it took me out of the whole movie. And I wish there were natives at the end who would give those final comments. Modern day Osage people, either relatives or descendants of the people who were involved in those things. And are even just Osage people, not a bunch of non-natives on stage doing this corny radio play. And then Martin Scorsese having a final word, which was even more, I don't know what the word is called, but it, it didn't feel, I, I doubt that's what he was doing. I'm sure he was genuine, but it didn't feel it felt very, lack of a better term, like self-serving almost. What did y'all guys think about that scene? <laughs> I felt very differently. I, you know, the whole thing, the whole thing starts with silent pictures and just the time that passes that we get to this radio play and the whitewashing of the story and the centering of the FBI in the whitewashing of the story. And then he came out and I mean, I feel like that it was kind of a recentering of the story to the Osage people because he was reading her obit. I, I mean, I got a little emotional, but y'all know me. <laughs> it is emotional. I mean, it's a very emotional thing. I mean, he's re reading a, an obituary of a survivor, pretty much. Someone who, who overcame this adversity. And we don't know what exactly the reality of her second husband was. But in, in a sense, we get a happily ever after. But I want an Osage person to tell me that. Because we don't have a happy ending Osage. Because like in the modern context, we do have land back stories of our Osage nation. One of my favorites is when they got the land at Ted turner owned and how they got that back i think that's a beautiful story and 
but we don't have that. And we don't have the Osage saying that. It would be even more emotional for me if an Osage person told me that because I would say, okay, so, you know, we're still here. She got, you know, something that happened. It still would be probably even more emotional because it was emotional to even think about it. The whole story is emotional. It's why it's stuck with me all these years, ever since, you know, I've known about it because we're all connected by allotments, you know, and, and with you, your land issues. And so we know how that was with all tribes, how allotment was. We were all fucked over by the government and basically, you know, white settlers. If any of our listeners are interested in how the allotment fucked us all over, I would highly recommend listening to This Land podcast by Rebecca Nagel. She goes into great depth about how our collective lands were divided up and shrunk and given away to settlers. So again, that's called This Land. Highly recommend. Who else has thoughts about the ending? Historically, uh, Scorsese's movies end really abruptly. Goodfellas just kind of stops. Casino, it just like stop. Like there's like some momentum going, and it just stops right there. And I think if it if it would if this movie would have been about anything else, it probably would have ended with that him being the last, him having the final word. And I, it, it feels like in dealing with the tribe that they did have an influence on. Uh, maybe either subconsciously or if they directly said that maybe this ending needs to have some kind of an ending think that had an influence on 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 that yeah i mean i'll just piggyback on that i feel like it's structured in a way where it's it makes some interesting leaps across time it sort of jumps forward into a more established period of the fbi and mediation forms of genre you know, true crime. And then it jumps forward to what I take to be more present day in that final overhead shot. I feel like it's actually a documentary and not at that point. It's literally a documentary to me than a recreation or a staging of fiction. But I thought, you know, I, I was also very emotional because of his delivery. I found something very symbolic about the way it calls and responses responds to the way that we hear molly talk about the deaths at the beginning like she does talk about death and she talks about the community and but when it's related to her she sort of like is not present to talk about death she's able to sort of walk away from it and the emphasis is more on what life she had rather than what death she had so i feel like there's an artistic purpose that doesn't mean that i don't agree with Tully. i'd like to see the the nation say something or like her subsequent children say something but i think scorsese's talking to a non-indigenous audience and they need to hear where they fit in relation to all this and recognizing that they're culpable while listening to a narrative that is incomplete in the same way that a radio drama is incomplete it's missing image it's missing context it's missing realism the performances in the same way that he is probably also missing stuff and even though you know there's a way in which that is not enough i do appreciate the fact that he is making that statement and the audience is hopefully coming to terms with that if they're non-native so appreciated that but it was also interesting that it's very similar to a podcast and like the true crime podcast format today i feel like he was kind of talking about that as well that this is still going on we're still telling these stories and it's for entertainment to some degree or it's for people with just speculative interests rather than like legitimate concern about people and nations and i felt like it was really addressing podcasting and the true crime genre in a way today especially when we're talking about missing relatives so i thought that was kind of interesting yeah i would i would I agree with telly it would be great to see molly's grandchildren telling us like the little children or grandchildren and the relatives would be great to see them tell us something at the end more schindler's list more schindler's okay. list yeah i mean yeah, you thanks. know 
I think so because yeah, Schindler's List has a stronger emotional grab for me than this movie. The way, mm-hmm. it, even though that was kind of like almost kept going and going. And same thing. And I was talking to someone else. Is like I was thinking of because Malcolm X has been on TV a lot, and I've been watching it. And how Malcolm X ended because you know Ossie Davis does the obituary, and he's the one who originally did the obituary when Malcolm X died. And so, what if there, you know, I wish it was someone who was connected as opposed to someone who just made a movie about that person. And that's kind of, I guess, what I was wanting to feel and to say, you know, somehow say that the Osage are trying to, are working at regaining this land. It's, it's not a fight that's ended, it's a fight that we will continue fighting possibly forever, but at mm-hmm. least we're fighting for now. And the other thing with what Candace said is that they're still saying that we can't, we're incompetent and that these are things that we have to still try to fight. And, the other thing about the movie, too, is like, I know you, you got to say a lot, and he still has three and a half hours to say a lot, but he just still didn't seem like he said enough. And to talk about, like, for me, I don't know how non-Native audience would feel to realize, I wondered if they just thought it was this family and Hale's family, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Or if they knew there was a bigger picture of a lot of shit that happened. It wasn't just, it was like almost all the white settlers out there. It was the government. It was the Oklahoma government. It was the governor. They were all, quote unquote, complicit. And I don't know how how deep that went. Yeah, I can't imagine that someone who has never been introduced to any of this information is going to walk away thinking any of that. By the end of this film, they're going to think, oh, it's that one family. Oh, it's over. But maybe there's a few cases. But the fact that it doesn't reveal the number of other incidences and perpetrators it feels like that's a disservice real quick let me my final quote of what i so when i went to the opening night at my screening there was a video of principal chief standing bear and he introduced the movie and then it goes to martin scorsese's introduction and then it goes to the movie so i don't know if everyone got that but i'm not sure if this is what he said but this was a quote that i found online and he said that Killers of the Flower Moon is an Osage story of trust and betrayal as directed by Martin Scorsese. While watching, you need to know that this is a true story. Many Osage lives were lost and whole family trees were forever altered. The film lays bears the truth and injustices done to us while challenging history not to be repeated. We honor our ancestors who endured this time by continuing to survive, ensuring our future guided by our Vizagi culture and traditions. Again, because of these, him and the former chief, Jim Gray, giving these intros, I felt like I had a great experience of, not great, but I had, but I felt like, I felt like I had an even more informative experience of hearing these like really powerful words and these strong things that these people said and the connection of, of our natives and seeing it in the movie with a bunch of natives. Anyway, anybody else, that last word, Candace specifically? It's an important film. It's an important film. It's important history. If you are especially a student of Wajaji language, or if you're interested in indigenous languages and how it's incorporated into films, I feel like this is a prime example of a way to do it. Because I, again, like I feel like I was really, I was really touched by the way the language, how language was incorporated into these scenes and given a lot of time, given a fair amount of screen time, I thought. Again, prepare yourself. It is a long movie. When the owl comes, take your bathroom break and uh, know that, yes, what you're seeing is a movie about our pain 
and our trauma, but there that's not all of us. That's not all there is to us. And I encourage you to go and watch other Native films as well. Watch Native films by Native writers and Native filmmakers. We appreciate the important story that this is and that ultimately I have to borrow uh, what my friend Chris Cote says, that he hopes that there will be healing. We hope that there will be healing, that we'll be able to look within our communities and hopefully that we'll, we'll, we'll find we'll find some healing from this because again people are still impacted by this people organizations and institutions and certain peoples still profit from holding our head rights and still profit from the murders that were committed back in the 20s so uh we still have people profiting off this but i hope for my people i hope i i I share that same wish that I hope we can find healing from this trauma and I hope that we can find, I hope that we will continue to do the things that we know are right to do and that we'll treat each other well and uh, that we'll hold each other. That That's, those are some of my, those are my ending thoughts. If any of our listeners are interested in learning more, we recommend reading The Death of Sybil Bolton, Pipe for February, and Mean Spirit. These are books that take a look at the Reign of Terror from different viewpoints than David Gann and Martin Scorsese. So give him a listen, give him a, a read. I really enjoyed Piper February. It starts out pretty slow, but it it ends well. It picks up its pace and is pretty interesting. Another quick tip for our listeners, once you've seen the movie and you meet somebody that's Osage, try to be a good listener and not uh, recount the entire movie to them. I think there's also a Dan Bigby documentary. Yeah, you mentioned one. Remember, I asked you about it. What was it? Yeah, there was a, yeah, there's, it's a series called American Hidden Stories, and there's one about the Osage murders. Um, but there's also a Dan Bigby one that was from probably 20 years ago, or not even that long. Maybe, I don't remember. Was it the one with Richard Ray, where he does the narrator? David Bishop is the narrator of the series. I'm not sure about Dan Bigby. Let me look. My answer is I have no answer. But Copy watch that. The, yeah, watch the short documentary by Dan Bigby about the Osage murders. Alrighty, so I just want to say thank you for listening. want to say um, tune in next time. Same Indigenous time, same Indigenous place. And don't just keep it real. Keep it, keep it real. Real Indigenous. indigenous. indigenous.